So we're going to attack Leviticus chapter 26. If you have your Bibles, you pick one up from the seat. We're going to read through this chapter, not the whole thing, but we're going to pick out verses. And I'd like to attack this today in much the same way as I do life. Back the front. So we're going to start with the very last verse. Okay, verse 46, chapter 26 of Leviticus, verse 46. These are the decrees and the laws and the regulations that the Lord himself at Mount Sinai between himself, that the Lord established at Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. Then we'll uh, go on to... um, If it was on the screen, I'd find it. (laughs) It's the wrong one, though. (laughs) We'll pick it up at verse 36, just another piece, and we'll we'll, we'll say these, um, these verses and you'll see how they join together a bit later. Verse 36, as for those who are left, I will make their hearts so fearful in the lands of their enemies that the sound of a wind-blown leaf will put them to flight. They will run, through the, run as though fleeing from the sword and will fall even though no one is pursuing them. Verse 3, if you follow my decrees and are careful to obey my commands, I will send you rain in season and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue till the grape harvest and the grape harvest will continue until planting and you will eat all the food you want and live in safety in the land. I will grant you peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. So as we've been reading... Um, thanks, Ali. As we've been reading uh, Leviticus, you'll notice... Um, chapter 26 reads a bit like a conclusion or a summing up and and just like a cold bucket of water in our face we realise that without Christ and his sacrifice we would need to be practising everything in this book if we were to have a hope of drawing close to God's in fact if you were privileged enough to uh, be related to Aaron the high priest And if it was your turn to go into the Holy of Holies and offer sacrifices for the nation, if it was your turn, if you had that privilege of just getting into that place where God's Spirit dwelt in the Ark of the Covenant, if you were privileged enough just to belong to the the family, even then you would not be, be able to draw as close to God's Spirit then as we are privileged to now, thanks to Christ who was able to give a sacrifice once and for all. We realised that the grace afforded to us was truly amazing. The average Israelite who um, would offer the appropriate sacrifice at the right time and the right thing and they would be careful not to commit any unintentional sin and all that, if they did all that they would only get so far as the courtyard of the temple 
But chapter 26 is a kind of, as I said, a conclusion, a, a laying down of the law after telling people what God required. Now, now he's summing things up and what would happen to the people if they obeyed the commands of God and what would happen if they didn't obey the commands of God. In my Bible it's got two titles. It's got reward for obedience and the one we don't like, punishment for disobedience. It's a difficult passage in many ways to get into because you get into those questions of life that are hard. The questions like, why do bad things happen to good people? Or the question of why does God really punish us today? If you want to know the answers to those questions, don't go anywhere for the next half an hour. I'll do my best to, to sort it out. 22 times in Leviticus, God says this phrase, I am the Lord your God. 22 times. It is such a mistake when we, if we're to read these words and say, well, God isn't like this anymore. As difficult it is, as, as some of these passages are, and as difficult and as, as demanding as these are, we cannot s- say the words, God isn't like this anymore. He's not quite so demanding. He's not so, quite so bossy anymore. He's mellowed out in his old age. He's, he's become a bit more modern like the rest of us. No, God is saying that God hasn't changed at all. God is saying here that like it or not, this is me. It's like a signature on a document. This is what I approve of, this is what I don't approve of, this is what I stand for, this is what I don't stand for, this is what I like and this is what I don't like. And like it or not, this is me, this is God. And as we read through the second half of this chapter, I have to say that I don't like it. There's a fair bit of scripture actually that I don't like. not saying I disagree with it, I just don't like it. You know, towards the back of my Bible it talks about people going to hell. Don't like it, but it's a fact. It talks about Christians suffering terribly and dying and being tortured and terrible things. I don't like that either, but it happened. I don't like the way Christ suffered the way he did, but it did. And somewhere in all that God has a plan and a purpose for it all and I kind of have to step out of the way and just let God be God and get out of his way. So as promised, we're going to start reading Leviticus chapter 26 back the front. We're going to start with the last verse. These are the decrees, the laws and the regulations that the Lord established at Mount Sinai between himself and the Israelites through Moses. Speaking here not just of chapter 26, but of the entire book of Leviticus. And it's helpful to remember that verse reminds us where all this took place. This is at Mount Sinai where God downloaded, if you like, all this information to Moses. 
at a similar, the same time when the, the Ten Commandments were written and all that. Now it's important to know that and to remember some other things that happened at that time. Remember a thing called a golden calf where the Israelites melted down their earrings, got all the leftover gold they had from Egypt, they melted it down and they... The word says there that they fashioned a god. They fashioned it with a tool. They picked up a tool, like a file I guess, and they fashioned this god. It's an interesting word to use, isn't it, when you fashion something to make it look like how you want it to look like. And after fashioning this thing to look what they thought God was, maybe, Aaron, the high priest there, said, and tomorrow we will have a festival to the Lord. Capital L. And so this calf thing they made and fashioned became the Lord. If we're not careful, we can do the same thing. We look at this text we're reading today and say God is not like this anymore, he's not so bossy, he's not so demanding, then we get out the file and we try to take off God's sharp edges and fashion him a bit more so he's a bit more likeable, a bit more suitable to us. Christians do this sadly all the time. Some people do. Some will say, yes, I'm a Christian but I don't really need to go to church. That's just an extra bit. God doesn't mind if I sleep with my boyfriend as long as we're going to get married anyway. God won't mind if I'm at work and I drop the occasional F-bomb. I'm sure he knows the stress I'm under and the sort of work environment I work in. I'm under grace after all, aren't I? Surely he would understand... And so subtly it begins. We get the file out and we start to shape God and take off his hard edges to make him more suitable. In the same way we see the God of Leviticus, we, if the, guys, the, the Israelites there didn't like him so they pick up the tool in a sense. They're doing the same thing. They're knocking the hard edges off and fashion God into something that is suitable. Instead, what should be happening is we should be giving ourselves to God and allow him to fashion us. I'll read some of the the punishments. You ready? my place, there we go punishments for disobedience verse 14 but if you will not listen to me and carry out these commands and if you will reject my decrees and abhor my laws and fail to carry out my commands and so violate my covenant then I will do this to you I will bring on you sudden terror wasting diseases and fever that will destroy your sight and sap your energy You will plant seed in vain because your enemies will eat it. I will set my face against you so you will be defeated by your enemies and those who hate you will rule over you and you will flee even though no one is pursuing you. 
We're not going to read all of that, but we'll, we'll get into a bit more in a sec. Even when you, when you do these... Um, sorry. When we start reading through the, lot, the whole lot of that chapter, you'll see that it escalates. You'll get to a point and, and if God says, if you don't listen to me, the punishment gets worse. And it goes on so far and it gets a bit worse and it gets worse and worse. And from verse 13, for, verse 14, the narrative actually gets a bit spooky because it reads a bit like a prophecy. If you know anything of the history of the Israelites from this point, everything in that chapter happened. You can read it through. God says, if you don't listen to me, they didn't. If you fail to carry out my commands, they failed. If you reject my decrees and abhor my laws, they did. You can read about wasting diseases, that happened. They're planting seed and the enemies will come and eat it. They did. Those who hate you will rule over you. They did. Drought, famine, war, exile, it all happened just as God said it would in this chapter. And all because they preferred to fashion God how how it suited them rather than worshipping him as he was. If you read on, you'll even get to words like cannibalism. You'll get to plague and land being left desolate and all of it happened. Verse 38 even talks about, it says this, you will perish among the nations, the land of your enemies will devour you. You could almost argue that as Nazi Germany or at least the Romans. We go through a, a set of if, if you, God says if you get to this stage and you still don't listen, he says, I'm going to increase your punishment seven times. And it gets a bit worse after that and it gets to a point where God says, if you still don't listen, I will increase your punishment seven times. And it goes down a bit further another time and says, if you're still not going to listen, I'm going to increase the punishment seven times. It's interesting to me that when Peter speaks to Jesus and said, how, how often should I forgive my neighbour? Seven times? What does he say? Seventy times seven. It's a sort of an antidote for this. The question remains, did they deserve it? This text speaks very clearly about this in 21. God says, you will get exactly what your sins deserved. So I guess the question is how do we get out of it? How do we escape the punishment? Perhaps if we try and change God's mind and we try and convince him that we're really not bad people, we're okay, you know, on on balance. We're fairly good most days. And we get the tool and we start to shape God to suit us. We can't change God's mind. We can't turn him into something else. We can't fashion God into a different character. 
The only way for the punishment of sin to be paid is that we die. Or someone who is without sin has to die in our place. And even here in the midst of this harsh penalty, in the midst of this difficult chapter, this difficult judgment, in amongst the harsh terms that are Leviticus, there is a light of hope. In, in verse 40 it says, if they, or you can put the word you if you like, God saying, if you will confess your sin, verse, t- verse 42, I will remember my covenant with Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. God remembers his covenant and the promise he made to his people. The word covenant means treaty or binding agreement. And this is exactly what happens now. When we pray and we ask God for forgiveness, he remembers his covenant. In, in 1 John it says, if we pray, God is faithful and just and he will forgive us. What is he faithful to? He is faithful to the covenant that was written in the blood of his son. Not to Abraham anymore, but to his son Jesus. It's a binding agreement, a covenant. I don't want to diminish the law, but long before the law came in, there was covenant. Hundreds of years before the law came in, there was covenant. God made agreements with people he called his friends. With Abraham, with Isaac, with Jacob, you could put in there Adam, you could put in Noah as well. He lived by relationship, he lived by promise, he lived by covenant. So what happens after the covenant? Like I promised, we're going to read back the front and we get back to verse 3. We can read back the front because I wanted to end with some good news. Verse 3, If you follow my decrees and are careful to obey them, I will send you rain in season. If that's not important to you anymore, it should be. certainly important to me. It's still a big deal in our lives. They'll send you rain in season and, and the ground will yield its crops and the trees their fruit. Your threshing will continue until the grape harvest, which is an interesting thing thing to say, isn't it? Your threshing will continue until your grape harvest. Threshing simply means cleaning up your grain. After you've harvested it, you bring it in the shed, you sift it out and thresh it and thrash it around and you get the clean wheat from all the straw and rubbish. And God here is saying, I'm going to bless you so much, make you so busy that process will go on for so long until your grape harvest, which will happen the start of the next autumn. And then once you get to your grape harvest, there's going to be so much of abundance of that, it'll continue through to sowing, which is sowing your next crop of wheat. So blessing is going to make us busy. Wouldn't that be a good problem for our church? Blessing made us busy. But it goes on, if you'll um, go into your grape harvest and you'll continue until planting and you'll eat all the food you want, live in safety in your land. And the next verse, if, you don't, if you're not into marking your Bible with a pen, make an exception this time. 
put an asterisk next to this next verse, which is, I will grant you peace in the land and you will lie down and no one will make you afraid. No one will make you afraid. Quite a contrast to that other verse we read in the second half where a single leaf blowing in the wind, they thought they were under attack. General rules for living. If if you do the right thing by God and by and large it will go well for you. It's a philosophy that I try and follow If I get on with what God's called me to do and do the best to live my life in the way that he approves and he's called me to do, he will take care of my stuff. General rules for living. Does it mean there won't be trouble along the way? There won't be challenges? No. Certainly not for the Christian. And yet I've seen Christians so solid in their faith they'll go through trials that would finish me off. And they'll say weird things like, well, I've got cancer, but I've, yet I lie down in peace and I sleep well and I have joy still and I'm not afraid. There is peace still in my land. doesn't make any sense at all, but there's peace there. Like I said before, in the, in the contrast to that second chapter and the second half of the chapter in verse 36 it talks about people living away from God because they've walked away from him in a desolate land because they because they are there and, and everyone's left and being terrified of the sound of a leaf blowing past their tent thinking soldiers are going to attack them they will fall even though no one is pursuing them But just like Jesus asleep in the boat when the storm rages around everywhere else, so should we be. And so we come to verse 1, where we should have started. But it starts where we finished. Or, Or we finished where it started. Or it started where we started. Or something like that. Anyway... Where it starts, do not make an idol or set up an image or sacred stone or carved stone because we don't have idols today, do we? We have millions of them. And all of them are just trying to fashion God in a way that is suitable and more acceptable to us. Remove the sharp edges, get rid of the harshness that we think God shouldn't be about and let it be more pleasing to our eye. The Christian message is to accept God, allow him to fashion us, not the other way around. When we look at Leviticus, when we look at this chapter, the whole thing calls for honesty. You have to look into it like a mirror. And the degrees of honesty changes, doesn't it? Uh, go back a few years. I remember my nana showing my, me a, a piece of paper, something she found in the cupboard. And this piece of paper was a, a written transaction. And it was really odd because it, it was a transaction. What had happened is her 
grandmother, so my great-great-grandmother, had given her daughter, my great-grandmother, the family piano. But she didn't give it to her at all. She sold it to her. Not only did she sell it to her, but they thought it was right to, to write down a handwritten invoice. Not only that, they put tax stamps on it. That's how we used to pay tax in the old days. We used to get, by the, by the stamps, you just put them on there because it was the right thing to do, not to rip off the government, even when there's a transaction from daughter to, to mother to daughter. How our standards of honesty have changed a little bit. As we read this text, we have to ask the question, am I really following God like I should be? Am I praying like I should be? Am I into my Bible like I should be? Am I, am I, am I obeying God like I should be? Can I be honest about those things or am I just going through the motions? Remember a guy called Samson? Big, strong, tough guy. He believed his strength was in his hair. What a dope. Something I wouldn't say to his face. but um, He believed his strength within his, was in his hair. His strength was actually in the closeness between him and his God and he'd lost that a long time before he lost his hair. His hair was just symbolic. And it says there in, about Samson, they said the spirit of God left him and he did not know it. I don't know about you, but I don't know what's more scary. That the Spirit of God could leave you or that the Spirit of God could leave you and you not know about it. And we see just like the Israelites in in this story, no one decides to be evil overnight. It's a gradual walking away from God's presence. It's a gradual... Uh, it's a gradual dis- disobedience. It gets to the point where God says, just like the gentleman he is, well, if you don't want me around, I'll leave. And I'll take my protection with me. And by the way, Israel, you're surrounded by these countries that hate you. And now with my protection gone... They want a piece of you. Will we notice it? Would we notice it? If that presence of God is not in our lives anymore, would we notice if my if would I notice if my prayer life had slipped? Reading my word. Would I notice that until the enemy's voice becomes a bit louder in my ear than my Saviour's? Would I have to get to that point where I would hear the, that wind blowing that leaf through and get terrified by reports I've heard? Or would I lay down in peace? One of the biggest dangers for the Christian is to get comfortable. One of the most comfortable places I can think of is my shower. One of the best places to be is on a cold Mount Shank day, when you come home from the end of the day and I take off all my cow smelling clothes, jump in the shower, 
get the water going right, it's nice and hot, soaks into your bones, it's comfortable. And that's just what I did the other day. Got in there, got the temperature just right and it was at that second that my wife decides to try out all the different settings on her brand new dishwasher. (laughs) There are six settings on the new dishwasher. So while she's pressing all these buttons, I'm in the shower learning a new dance. (laughs) (laughs) You know, as forgiven sons of God, we... We are no longer punished. Punishment's paid for. Christ paid for our punishment of our sin, but we are disciplined as sons. And sometimes God needs to muck about with the taps, get us out of our comfortableness. Those of us in Christ are called sons. We escape punishment, but we will get disciplined. I've noticed that in my life. God will mess around with the taps from time to time. It keeps me on track. But for those of us that don't think God will punish anymore, that he's changed somehow and he's different now, you'd better not read Revelation at the end of the book. Punishment's coming. There's no way to avoid that except join God's family. Punishments for the ungodly. Discipline is for God's sons. Let's pray.